And that's what we're going to talk about today. Who is this King of glory? The answer is He is our Savior. He is our King, the lover of our souls. And as we move into a new year, we have all of this confidence because of His greatness, because of His reign and rule over all things. So let's pray together before we open God's Word. Lord, we pray that on this last Sunday of 2018... As we continue and kind of finish this Advent series, born, as you were born at the right time, born of a woman, born of a virgin, born into poverty, born to be Savior. And now, Lord, would you help us to not only understand, but gain great insight and response to you as our King. And let it make a difference as we turn the page into a new year of your kingdom. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So turn in your New Testaments to Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. Luke 1, 26 through 33. And these are the very words of God for you. In the sixth month, The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So I want to begin by asking this question. What does your life have in common with the Hallelujah Chorus. You know, the Hallelujah Chorus by Handel. What does your life have in common with the Hallelujah Chorus? The answer, according to this passage, is a lot. And here's why. And I'd like for you to write this sentence down, please. You can talk about it later over lunch. Write this down in your bulletin. Jesus, here's why you have a lot in common with the Hallelujah Chorus. Jesus reigns. As king of kings. And we belong to Jesus. Let me just say it. Jesus reigns as king of kings. And we belong to Jesus. Now, George Friedrich Handel, who wrote the Hallelujah Chorus a long time ago, you know what he was doing? He was simply putting Revelation 11.5 to music. He, He was just coming right out of the scriptures. And so, I'm not going to sing the Hallelujah Chorus. You can say hallelujah for that. Uh, But I'm going to say the hallelujah course. And I'm not sure how this is going to go, but we're going to do it. And you're welcome to add Descant uh, without singing, saying if you'd like. So here it is. 
Revelation 11.5, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. King of kings. That was good. And Lord of lords. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, you didn't think you'd see the Hallelujah Court wrapped, you know, this morning on the last Sunday of December. Here's the good news to you. If you have a relationship with God through Christ, if you have accepted the grace and love of God, moving forward into 2019, which is filled with uncertainties, the end of 2018 has been filled with uncertainties. Here's the good news. Jesus reigns as King of Kings, and we belong to Jesus. So I want to just look at those two ideas. First is this idea that Jesus reigns as King of Kings right now. God sent the, the messenger angel, the angel Gabriel. You know, you don't want to see Michael, the war angel. Uh, he sent the messenger angel Gabriel uh, down to this city up in the Galilee, this, this little city called Nazareth, to a young virgin named Mary. Mary, you've been chosen. You're the one. You're going to become pregnant by, you're going to conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. You're to call him Jesus. Now listen to the rest. And it's about this notion of the kingship of Jesus. Verse 32. And he will be great and called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. He will be great and called the son of the most high. Great meaning he will be unique. He will be unique, the, 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 the Son of the Most High God. This, this is, Mary, God in the flesh. You're about to give birth to the Messiah. He's going to be a man, but he's going to be called the Son of the Most High God. You know, in the, in the um, Old Testament, the, the Most High God and simply the Most High, those are words that talk about Yahweh God. You may remember in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, uh, even the demons called Jesus by this title. What do you want with me? Just in terror, this demon says, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? That's who he is. So Mary, this is the Messiah, the Savior, great Son of the Most High God. And then that last part and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will rule over the house of Jacob, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. Have you ever wondered why there is more than one king, in a sense? I mean, why didn't God the Father just do all the reigning himself? Why is Jesus... Declared king 
by the Father? Why is Jesus, the Son, given all authority in heaven and earth? And what does a mortal like David have to do with all that in the throne of God? And, and why is the final throne of God's authority called David's throne? Well, there's a story here. And the story begins in the book of Judges. And during the time of Judges, it was a hard time in Israel. It was very dicey. It was a time when, when Israel was conquered several times and then there would raise up a leader, a, a judge, and then they would be conquered again. And there was no king in Israel. And, and Israel wanted a king. Now, God had been Israel's king. They had had a king. There was just one king. And God ruled them through the principles of his covenant love to them and the covenant he had made and the laws that he had given them. And God was ruling through the covenant and the laws. And um, God warned them, if you get a king like the other nations have, there's going to be all these things that you're going to have to give up. And there's going to be all these restrictions. and going to be all these things. Sure, you want a king like the other nations. But, you know, the Lord had already prophesied that there would be a king. He told Abraham in, in Genesis 17, 6, kings will come from you. He told Jacob in Genesis 35, 11, the same thing. There, there will be kings. And you know, in the book of Judges, that's the main point of Judges. You know, it's just kind of up and down. You've got these, like, warlords. And there's this one sentence that, that gets repeated over and over in the book of Judges. It's a, it's a polemic. It's an argument for kingship. And here's the sentence. Some of you know it. In those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Over and over, we need a king. There was no king, and everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Now, the main problem was, wasn't a king. The main problem was the kind of king these people wanted. One quote, like the other nations, one that could protect them and rule them, one that could be a focal point for them, a point of national pride. Basically, kind of the way I see it, they wanted kind of a celebrity warrior king. Not that anybody would, would go for a leader even today, vote for just because of his looks or because of his celebrity. Celebrity warrior king. And, and, you know, Saul, he was really tall and really good looking. And they said, that's, that's him. That's him. He's got my vote. You didn't get to vote. That's it. Saul wasn't it. He's tall and good looking. But he wasn't it because Saul loved power more than God. And God was ruling still through his covenant love and through his laws. And Saul turned his heart away from God. And God removed him. So 
who would God choose to replace Saul as king? Well, God sent the prophet Samuel down to this little town six miles outside of Jerusalem called Bethlehem to to interview all the sons of a certain man named Jesse who lived in Bethlehem. That's 1 Samuel 16.1. God said this, Samuel, fill your horn with oil. That's how you anoint a king. That's how you get one. Fill your horn with oil and I will send you down to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. But Samuel evidently was still thinking about a king the same way uh, they were thinking about a king with Saul. Because he was shocked who the king turned out to be. I love this story. Samuel 16, verse 6, when they came to Jesse's house, he just lined up the son and sons, and one after another, they passed before the Lord, and, and, and Samuel thought, he's, he's got to be it. Verse 6, when they came, they, he looked on Eliab, and he thought, surely, surely this is the one, the Lord's anointed, who's walking before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. Listen to this. But God looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And, and Samuel said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shema pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons, one after another, pass before the Lord in front of Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then Samuel said to Jesse, are these all your sons? And Jesse said, well, there is the youngest one on the lower 40, but we didn't think to bring him. That's not quite the way the scripture reads. <laughs> and Jesse said, well, there's still the youngest, and he, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, you go and send for him, and we will not sit down for he comes. And God chose David. I mean, him? The, the shepherd boy that was left behind, yeah. Yeah, him. Because you see, more than anything else, God wanted a man after his own heart to be king. So that God could rule through his covenant love still for Israel and by his laws. God wanted a humble man. God wanted a sincere man and a devoted man. You know, David, when he was younger, he'd just be out there with the sheep and he had his heart. He just did the most beautiful thing. You know, he just had this heart full of praise for God. Nobody's watching. You know, he wasn't trying to impress anybody. and He just write these psalms. He just played on his heart just for God because he loved God. Man, wouldn't that be great to just be like that and to just worship God just for God and to give God gifts when nobody's looking? 
just for God. David was a heartfelt worshiper and David was a loving shepherd and David was a brave warrior that fought the bear and the lion. And David was willing to sacrifice himself for his sheep and later for his nation and for his God. Now that is the right kind of king. And it is David who becomes the model king in Israel. And yes, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking, man after God's own heart, but didn't he really sin badly? Yes, David, like you and like me, was very human. And he was frail and he sinned big time before God, but he was different than proud Saul. He was different from proud, paranoid Saul. David's heart was broken before God. And David deeply repented before God. And God forgave David. And God restored David. And some of his most heartfelt psalms, Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 is an example of just the psalms of repentance and the joy of full forgiveness. Some of his best psalms were written after He was restored. So in the good times and in the bad, David remained the man after God's own heart. And all future kings would be measured against David. And the future of Israel would come through nobody else but David. You know, when David finally had subdued the the enemies of Israel, David finally got to sit in his palace. David finally got to have a little rest and be that king that that God years before had anointed him to be. It took like 11 years for him to finally sit on his throne. He just had to trust God the whole time. This is what God told David when he finally got to sit in his palace. David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Boy, that was really something to hear. The throne of David, it will be forever. Out of your lineage, it will be forever. The Messiah was promised to come out of David. So I want you to to think about this for For many years in Israel, there were two kings. There was the main king who was God, and there was what's called the vassal king. Kind of the the junior representative king, and that was the king sitting in Israel. So there was this binary situation of kingship in Israel. The God in heaven and the king of Israel on the throne. And, And God held those rulers accountable to his covenant and to the laws that he gave and And, you know, you can read about it, but after King Solomon, it wasn't pretty. King Solomon, it wasn't all pretty with him either. But after King Solomon and the kingdom divided, what we get is one king after another who, quote, did evil in the sight of the Lord and led the people to do so, do also. And like his father, the new king, did evil in the sight of the Lord. It just 
really bad. And every once in a while, you know, in these two different places, it kind of fractured into two different places, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Every once in a while, there would be a king who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And you know what happened in those days with all those terrible kings? God sent another group of people. Like they've been talking forever in the Bible, but he really sent them in mass, and they're called the prophets. And God sent prophets to that bad situation, and the prophets said, I want, I want, God wants you to know, I'm speaking for God, God wants you to know what the occupant of the throne of David should be like, and I'm calling you now to turn back to God. Remember when Jesus said they killed the prophets? That's why. He, they, the prophets told the kings, turn or burn. And the kings didn't like it. A whole nation. You, you've got to repent. And so many of our prophecies about the Messiah come out of the prophets. Like think about all the prophecies, for instance, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. So now. Two kings, and it's not going well. And the prophets are prophesying the king who will sit on David's throne. And we're going to get one king forever. So now let's go back to Mary. And it happened just like the angel told her. And he was born Savior, named Jesus. And he was born a king. And the wise men from the east, the magi, certainly said... Where is this one that has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Early on in his life, we get that sense, not just from the angel and Mary, but that sense from even people outside the circle, that this baby was born to be the king. And like David, he is a shepherd king. Remember his words? I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. He, like David, he's a shepherd king. Like David, he is a warrior king. And we're going to talk about that part of his kingship in a few moments. And just as predicted, worldwide salvation would spring out of the Jewish nation. Ever since Abraham, I will make you a blessing, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And through Jesus, a worldwide salvation would come. And Jesus the Christ, or the Messiah, is the one greater than David. We could, we could, we'd say it this way uh, today. Jesus is a super David, like no other, who reigns on David's throne. So finally... Once Jesus comes, the son of David, the super David, finally and forever there is one king. And you know why? Because it's not that guy on the throne or God. It is God and man put together to be savior and to be king. It is God and man who will reign because the Father has given all authority in heaven and earth to Jesus. The Father has set up his right hand to be the place where the cosmos is led by Jesus, ruling on David's throne. So, 
When Christ was born, in the, what we might call the first coming of Christ, He came just as Isaiah said He would, as this meek and gentle Lamb of God. He came as a Lamb to be sacrificed for us. He came to take on our worst enemies, and those are sin, what keeps us separated from God that we cannot fundamentally change, and death. You know, Jesus defeated sin on the cross, on our behalf, took our sin, defeated it, took the punishment that we deserved. The, Isaiah put it this way, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. But he defeated death in the resurrection. And you know, his kingdom right now, Jesus reigns right now. His kingdom is still a kingdom of love. And grace and a kingdom that is primarily about the salvation of men and women and children. Right now, King Jesus, the Lamb, is merciful. Right now, He is patient so that people can come in. So that through the good tidings... Of the gospel, the good news of of the Messiah, Jesus, people can come in. Uh, He's not showing his overwhelming power yet. I remember talking to a young college girl some years ago here in Mississippi. who asked a very good question. And might I just say to you that if your children or anybody asks a good question that has some doubt at the bottom of it, please don't criticize. Listen carefully. And folks, if you don't have the answer and you're not supposed to have all of them, can you say, can I get back with you on that? And don't assume I have all the answers either, by the way. She asked a great question. She'd been hanging out with, a, with several people that had, were yet to believe in Christ. And she looked at me and she said, they're getting along fine. And God's not striking them with lightning. And it makes me wonder about God. I totally understood and appreciated what she was asking about. Many look around and say, where is this kingdom of God? Where is this, if Jesus is a king, if Jesus is ruling, where is the force? Where is the leverage? Isn't that what kings provide? And the answer is this. That right now, be thankful. He still is reigning, so to speak, as the lamb. Right now... His kingdom is still a kingdom of mercy and of ingathering. Right now, He is leading a kingdom of patience. And in love, He's calling people to become His through the gospel. And by the way, that young person strongly moved right back into a walk with God. And to this day, is walking so strongly with Jesus as her King. That's why we don't see Jesus righting all wrongs right now. 
You know the old hymn, This is my Father's world. Remember this verse? And though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Don't think because the wrong seems strong that that God is not ruling, that Christ, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, is not ruling on His throne. God is the ruler yet. One day, one day, the tenor and the mode of King Jesus' kingship will radically shift. It's not always going to be like this. Rather than, rather than seeing it as some mealy-mouthed little, little savior, some mealy-mouthed little king that isn't quite getting it done, see it as mercy because one day, the reign of Jesus will shift dramatically and time will be up. You understand, it's the patience right now. It's the mercy right now. Time will be up and he will return not as the suffering servants, not as the sacrificial lamb of God, but as the conquering lion of Judah who will be armed with unstoppable power. And it will be over, Clover. And he will do what he does. And it will be irresistible power. And he will set up his new heaven and new earth. After the earth, the world is judged. So let's zoom all the way out through the scriptures to that time kind of move from, he's still called the Lamb, but you understand what I'm trying to say with it. We kind of move from the Lamb of God who's patient and working through the gospel to the line of Judah who's taking care of business and about to wrap it all up and start it all new. If you want to turn to this, it's Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. And John says this. And I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Crown him with many crowns. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, his own, and his name. Just like in John chapter 1, is the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed with fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And this is where you get that verse in in, uh, the the, um, Battle Hymn of the Republic. He's treading out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. 
He will rule him with a rod of iron and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. And you know what it is? Right here. King of kings and Lord of lords. That just gives me chills. Remember why your life, if you know Christ, if you've responded to his mercy in this time of patience, do you know why your life has a lot in common with the Hallelujah Course? Because Jesus reigns as King of kings. Hallelujah. And we belong to Jesus. That's the second part. Real quickly, we belong to Jesus. We belong to the King. It's a good thing to belong to the King and to experience His proven love shown, demonstrated on a Roman cross for you and for me and and to experience His daily continuing love and, and His continuing provision and leadership. It's good to be on the side of grace that wins in history. We think about Jesus as Savior a lot around here. And rightly so. He loves us so much that He died for us. And because of His death, He always sees, even people like us, even sinners like us, as the very righteousness of God. Can you believe it? That He's not only taken away our sins, He's given us His very righteousness. And even sinners like us, He sees through the blood and righteousness of Jesus, and we are acceptable because of the work of another person sent from God. Sheer grace. And we can rest in His work that was declared finished, that is ours. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's just almost more than we can take in. We are accepted in the Beloved. And we can love Him. But peering into 2019, we're just kind of on the edge of the hill. We're looking into 2019. I I call upon you, in addition to focusing on Jesus as Savior, I call upon you to focus on the fact that Jesus is King of kings. And our King. And the King has adopted us. And we have the full rights of the sons and daughters of the King. And you know, a big part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ this year means entrusting yourself to the, in, to, to, in, in loving submission to the kingship or lordship of Christ. Let me say that again. If you want to follow Jesus, it certainly is resting in the gospel and loving him, but it is in, it is trusting yourself in loving submission to him as our king and to his leading. So we can answer his love with what the old timers called an answering love. To love him, to fo- walk with him, to follow him, and, and God will empower us. Ready for this? To advance something called his, what? Kingdom. Jesus spoke more about the kingdom of God than any other subject in his earthly ministry. But God will empower us to advance the kingdom in, in the hearts 
of men and women, and that's where the joy is. And one day, he will bring in a new, new order in a new heavens and new earth, and there's going to be a party. And it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he will be with his bride, his church, forever. And may I end by saying forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And he shall reign forever and ever. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us have eyes to see that you are called Jesus. Yahweh saves because you are the Savior. But you are the Messiah, the God-man. Born to be king. Born to bring that, that dual kingship into one kingship of Messiah through the lineage of David on the throne of David forever. Lord, thank you that as we have put our trust in you, we get to be a part of this history now. If you've never put your trust in what Christ has done for you and you kind of get it, you can't do all this by yourself and now you see what Christ has done for you and you want that relationship, just pray with me. Lord, I see it. I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity. Everything I've called religion, I want to put my trust, Jesus, in what you have done for me. Come into my life, risen Christ, and lead me. And Lord, there are many of us that walk with you. And so many of us are so bound up and balled up in fear. Fear of all kinds of things and dread and all kinds of things. Lord, could you clear that away? By giving us the soul rest again that the gospel provides just fresh right now. To know we're accepted in love and rest can rest before you. But would you also clear it all away knowing that you are in complete control. And we can trust in you. And we can put our lives under you because you are king. And Lord, would you be pleased to empower and use even us for the expansion of your kingdom and the hearts of people. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.